From Dwell Magazine, this is Raw Materials Three Ways, and I'm Dan McGinn. I'm an architect and writer, but for RM3, consider me your guide to the fascinating and surprisingly dramatic world where materials and humans intersect. In episode two, we talked to three architects about products they like to use that resulted from transforming logs in some way. We spoke to Jennifer Yost about plywood, Paul Massey about shingles, and Maziar Berus about charred cedar. In the spirit of Dwell's most recent issue on material innovation, we're going to take a deeper dive into this knotty subject and log another story about how wood can be transformed, this time on a microscopic level to create a useful product you might not associate with wood, textile fibers. That's right, wearable wood. So, what is wood? I asked a trusted colleague this question the other day, an artist who uses wood all the time in his sculptural installations. He thought I was being philosophical. Wood is wood, he said, nodding slowly. That's it. I pushed him a bit on the subject, wanting to know if he understood what wood was actually made of, and the best he could come up with was, wood is fibers of wood. It's not an easy question. I asked a few people at my co-working office if they knew the answer. What is wood? Um, what is wood? Wood is something that we have made out of a tree. Wood is a building material. Wood is trees cut down and processed into like lumber to be used to build something. Okay, but what is wood actually? On a cellular level, wood is made of two basic components, cellulose and lignin, locked together within the tough cell walls that make up the wood fibers. You'll find cellulose in any plant form on our planet, leaves, grasses, flowers, but lignin is the cement that combines with the cellulose to stiffen it up. It's kind of what makes wood, wood. Take away the lignin and things get interesting. About 2,000 years ago, it occurred to a Chinese scientist and politician named Kai Lun that if you remove the stiff lignin from the inner bark of mulberry trees, the remaining cellulose fibers could be used to make a flexible yet relatively strong substance. Before cellulose-based paper, writing was more of a chore. We pressed letter forms into clay tablets, or pounded papyrus reeds into scrolls, or we wrote on specially dried animal skin called parchment. Although all three methods got the job done, they all had their drawbacks. The clay tablets were clunky, the papyrus tended to split over time, and to make parchment, you first had to apply the death blow to cute, young, big-eyed animals like lambs and calves. Kai Lun said, there has to be a better way. He got the idea of papermaking from an unlikely source, from watching wasps make their nests out of decomposing wood fibers in fallen trees. Rather than think of these fibers as the end stage of a thing that was, a tree, He reframed the situation to think of them as the beginning stage of a thing that could be. Paper. Kai Lun chose mulberry bark because it wasn't as stiff as the wood that it encased on the mulberry tree. One drawback in this technique, though, cellulose from bark isn't as pure as true wood cellulose. Although the paper he made was a major improvement over papyrus and parchment, it wasn't quite as strong and smooth as what we are used to today. It wasn't until 1879 that a German inventor named Karl Dahl figured out how to break down actual wood fibers to make paper, using a chemical-based technique he called the craft process. 
Although it has been refined over the years, this process is still in use today. You remove bark from logs, shred them into chips, add chemicals and heat to dissolve out the lignin from the chips, and then wash the remaining cellulose fibers to create a magical substance called wood pulp. Process the wood pulp to remove the water and compress it into sheets, and voila! Boom goes the paper. But, as is the case with any established process, innovation beckons. In recent decades, a few entrepreneurial souls started pushing past this stage, continuing to refine wood pulp into an even more magical stem cell-like substance called microfibrillated cellulose. Microfibrillated cellulose is made out of the wood pulp. So basically you have a normal, for example, paper pulp as a raw material. And then you have a mechanical refining technology that you are making those wood fibers into the micrometer scale. That's Janne Poronen. He's the CEO and co-founder of Spinova, an innovative company in Ivaskula, Finland, located in the middle of a forest about a three-hour drive north from Helsinki. So you are refining or grinding mechanically wood fibers so that they are getting smaller and smaller. And, and then, then you will have a small fibers or how they are calling those as a fibrils. The name microfibrillated cellulose is coming from that topic or aspect. The story of how Spinova got its start is fascinating, and it's a great example of a concept called the adjacent possible. Stephen Johnson popularized this concept in his 2010 book, Where Good Ideas Come From, The Natural History of Innovation, and in a television series called How We Got to Now. Johnson argues that innovation often grows from a situation where someone with deep expertise in one area sees a link between that area and a seemingly unrelated observation in another. In the case of Spinova, the origin story isn't too far off from that of our paper-discovering friend Kai Lun and his wasps. The idea itself was already invented in 2009. In, in 2009, my co-founder, Mr. Juha Salmela, was attending in conference in Oxford University. And there was one of the most famous uh, spider silk professor giving the presentation and, and telling that what kind of similarities you have in spider silk and nanocellulose. And then Juha got the idea that what if we are able to spin nanocellulose fibrils or nanofibers, cellulose fibers, a little bit in the same way as a spider is spinning the silk. We were working in, at the Technical Research Center of Finland on that time, and when Juha came back to seminar, we did the first trial, and it was actually very successful. We filed the first patent application. So that was the origin of the invention. So if you were to look at a, a spider really closely, they would have almost like a, a series of nozzles. Maybe you could help us understand a little bit about how a spider might weave a web or make silk and how he had the aha moment that, oh, that's sort of, sort of like the process that we could use. I think the main, main thing was that because we were working so many years with the nanocellulose processes, 
And then when Juha was following the spider silk or the silk research uh, at the same time, he, he got the idea that because we have so tiny, tiny nanofibrils, so maybe we are able to put those through the very tiny nozzles, like what spider has, and then align the fibers and to make the bonding between the fibers and then produce a little bit the same kind of product as a spider silk. Of course, the spider silk itself is at least 1000 times more efficient process what the human being can, can do by, by today. Spinova operates out of a pilot factory in Avascula, completed in 2018. The operation is quite efficient. Containers of microfibrillated cellulose are shipped in and loaded into tanks. The stuff kind of has the look and feel of hand lotion. Yes, so when, when we are starting our production, microfibrillated cellulose is coming in as a raw material. So it means that you have about 80% water and 10% microfibers. Then, then you have this suspension in a tank. Then you have a pump. You are pumping the microfibrillated cellulose into the nozzles. Then we have hundreds of nozzles and we are pumping the suspension through the nozzles. As the microfibrillated cellulose is pumped through the nozzles, a dense network of surprisingly strong cellulose fibers is extruded and captured. They are then dried to remove the water and further processed into a couple forms which can be used by their partner companies to make textile fabric. Spinova ships the fibers to their partners either rolled up like thread around a big spool or chopped up into a kind of cottony looking fluff called staple fibers. So it is really totally breakthrough compared to the, any other current technologies. But besides of uh, wood pulp, we are able to use also some other raw materials like uh, agricultural waste. For example, the wheat straw or sugar beet or potato peels. Basically everything where you have cellulose available or cellulose fibers. And, and then we are able to produce the microfibrillated cellulose out of that. Knowing that you all have a, you're kind of a mission-driven company with sustainability and, and global impact in mind, the idea of being able to use a raw material that's part of the waste stream and make use of that is really important to you. Yes, yes, that is extremely important because... Of course, for us as a Finns and in Scandinavia, in, in north part of Europe, and I, I think also in US and Canada, it is clear that the wood pulp is very sustainable raw material. But when, when you go somewhere else, like in India, China, it is not that clear that it makes sense to use wood pulp as a raw material for textile materials. But then, of course, it is very extremely exciting and interesting to look all kind of waste materials as well. And now at the moment we have a big project ongoing, for example, to, to use agricultural waste as a raw material. And we have been able to produce already same type of textile fibers out of that. The sustainability is the key driver for Spinova. How, how we see it, if you think about the cotton production globally, 
all the people loves cotton. So now in, in our process, since we are using, for example, the wood pulp, and when you compare that how much water is needed to make textile fibers by using our process compared to the cotton fibers, our process in total uses less than 99% less water. And then we, we are not using any harmful chemicals in our production. You can recycle it, you can biodegrade it, you can reuse the product what we are producing. And, and of course the raw material is renewable. So say that one of your partners takes your material and creates a beautiful scarf from it and that scarf is is used for years and years you're saying you can actually take that scarf at the end of its sort of wearable cycle and and put it back into your system and reuse it yes that is that is our reason that if and, and when the products are made out of the spin of a fibers you can really reuse the products at the end you can you can put the for example the scarf or t-shirt back into the pulping process that we are refining the product back into the microfibrillated cellulose and then we are spinning the new fiber and then producing the new new t-shirt for example and that's why it is so exciting to think about that what kind of business models what kind of recycling models you can use in the future. Jana went on to talk about their plans to dramatically scale up their operation in the coming years, eventually locating the spinning operations and the cellulose processing operations in the same facility. He talked about the design at the pilot factory in Navaskula, which looks a bit more like an industrial scale laboratory than a production factory. I couldn't help ending our interview with a moral question that had been bugging me. So you've got this nice clean facility and you're doing all these innovative things, and say one day you look down and you see a spider running along your baseboard, do you give it a pass out of respect for its role in, in creating your company, or do you squish it? <laughs> <laughs> no, yeah, it, that, that, that's a very, very good question because I'm out of the woods I, I love hunting, I love fishing. Every day I, I, when I go out, out of the woods, I, I see the spiders, I, I look the spider webs and, and of course I'm, I'm thinking that was where our idea was, was coming from. We have a lot of about learning from nature. That is my, my feeling. The drive to innovate requires equal measures, ambition, and curiosity. This begs the question, would Spinova have happened if the founders hadn't seen that presentation on spider silk and made the connection to wood pulp and textile fiber production? So I think that always you need, need to think about and need to go outside and, and look outside of the box and, and really get the new fancy ideas that how you can use your knowledge in a new way, in the new, new technological areas or in the new industries. So I believe that the new inventions 
they are created between the boundaries of the different industrial sectors, like in our case. The night after I talked to Jana, I was clearing away stuff that my nine-year-old had been using for a school project. Poster boards and markers and construction paper and glue sticks. Somehow the combined smell triggered a sense memory of TG&Y, an old-school five-and-dime store in my hometown. In the 1970s, TG&Y was a place where everything was adjacent and anything was possible. I used to love going there. Somehow, even though it wasn't large, it sold everything, including toys, gum, and yarn, three things that my sister assured me the name stood for. Turns out that TG&Y stood for the three founders' names, Tomlinson, Gosselin, and Young. One display that always stopped me in my tracks was a rotating rack of seed envelopes, each with a single colorful photograph on the front. My hand was already trained to appreciate these seed envelopes because they were the same size as baseball cards. But whereas a baseball card might tell the story of Pete Rose, seeds suggested a story of the future, of what was to come in the backyard garden should one pop the seeds in the dirt and squirt some water on them. I remember that they cost a quarter, and I loved that, in theory, 25 cents could buy you 25 pumpkins, enough to carve 25 jack-o'-lanterns and eventually blow them up with 25 M80 firecrackers. I loved TG&Y because it was a place absolutely filled with potential, from the windowless area in the back with school supplies, spray paint, and yes, turtles, to the zone just behind the big plate glass windows, which usually featured cartoonish decorations related to whatever holiday lay next on the calendar. Like the heel-clacking leprechauns that would show up as St. Patrick's Day approached, or the big plastic spiders that would appear in early October, inching their way up the glass to spin an impressively scaled web of black yarn. TG&Y was a place filled with solutions in a world filled with problems. In retrospect, I truly think my hours-long diversions there are why I've never thought of having a problem to solve as a bad thing. Having a problem to solve, that's the whole point. So where do ideas come from? Sometimes they come from unexpected insights into the workings of the natural world. Wasps in their nests, apples falling from trees. For the founders of Spinova, the idea behind their company started when three human conditions came together at just the right time. Expertise in wood pulp, curiosity about how spiders make silk, and concern for the future of our environment. Creating t-shirts from wood might sound crazy at first, but this innovation has the potential to disrupt multiple industries in the near future, from fashion and design to farming and water conservation. In our own lives, what lessons can we take from their example? Engage fully in a thing you do well. Stay curious and stay aware for those adjacent possibilities, those brief windows of time when your expertise and your curiosity intersect. RM3 is a podcast by Dwell Media, your guide to living with good design. Jenny Shia is our senior editor and producer. Thanks also to Laura Spencer for production help. And I'm your host, Dan McGinn. Our theme music is by Slog Ralden. Thanks to Jana Pornen of Spinova for talking to us about spinning textile fiber from wood. Thanks to Stuart Kaufman for developing the concept of the adjacent possible. And to Stephen Johnson and Matt Ridley for tapping into that concept to explain how innovation happens. If you like the idea behind RM3, you'll love their work. Start with their TED Talks. Thanks also to my longtime creative compadre and former star TGNY employee, Ann Willoughby. 
Check out dwell.com slash podcast to learn more and see images of what we have covered today. If you enjoyed what you heard, be sure to hit subscribe and leave a review. You can find us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Follow Dwell Magazine on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook to get your daily design fix. We hope you enjoyed this bonus log, and we'll see you next time as we dig into the backstory of another raw material.